All right, everybody, welcome to Four Guys in a Comic, and I am pleased to introduce our special guest today, Greg Wiseman. Greg, welcome to the Hi. show. Thanks. Glad to be here. Oh, we're glad to have you. And it was so exciting for us. You know, you've done so many great things that we enjoy daily. And I was just going to ask, for those people, unfortunately, you know, living in a box that just don't know who you are, would you mind just talking a little bit about yourself? Uh, sure. Um, my name is Greg Weissman. I'm probably best known as being the creator of the television series Gargoyles and one of its producers. I've also uh, produced uh, seasons of Max Steel and Witch, and I produced uh, uh, both seasons of Spectacular Spider-Man, both seasons of Young Justice, and I uh, produced the first season of Star Wars Rebels. In addition, I've also been a comic book writer for literally decades. Um, so I did Captain Adam back in the 80s and 90s. Um, currently, I'm writing Star Wars Kanan, and I'm about, uh, and I started writing, um, finished writing the first uh, issue of uh, Star Brand and Night Mask, which is a new uh, comic from Marvel. And I'm about to start today, actually, writing issue two. Oh. And, um, and then also, I'm a novelist. I've written two novels, uh, Reign of the Ghosts and Spirits of Ash and Foam. And uh, they're two books in, in what I hope will be a nine-book series. And we've also taken the first book, Reign of the Ghosts, and turned it into a full-cast, unabridged audio play, which should come out uh, next month. Oof, that's a lot of stuff. That is. Wow, you have done I'm, quite a few things. I'm really old. <laughs> I wouldn't call you really old. <laughs> not that much older than I am, so no, you're not old. You just have been doing stuff, you know, from way back from early on. I mean, from what I can tell, I mean, my gosh, going back to the mid to early 80s, from Jim to Star Wars Rebels. <laughs> I think you even did a little uh, DuckTales, du- too, right? <laughs> I story edited the final five episodes of DuckTales and uh, worked a little bit, very little, on uh, the DuckTales movie. Oh. Ah, cool. Uh, I've always been a fan of DuckTales. I loved it. I mean, how can you not think of that theme song when you talk about it? (laughs) (laughs) Woo. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Now, um, speaking of stuff you did in the past, is your origin the... A uh, four issue mini for Black Canary that never went through. Was that the first uh, writing you did for a big company? Um, I don't know if it was first, but it was definitely one of the uh, early things I did for DC. Um, I started writing for DC in uh, 1983 when I was a sophomore in college. And uh, I did some stuff for. Uh, New Talent Showcase, which never got published, and Talent Showcase, which never got published. I wrote um, issues of Supergirl, which never got published, and Firestorm, which never got published, and an entire Black Canary miniseries, which never got published. In fact, it was interesting in a really sad, depressing kind of way how I kept getting paid for things that didn't actually get published. Um, So uh, I also wrote, you know, a bunch of who's who articles for DC because I was on on staff there, first as an editorial assistant, which is a fancy title for Xerox Boy. Um and then uh, uh, as an assistant editor and then an associate editor. And so I worked on a number of titles uh, editorially 
I don't think Black Canary was literally the first thing I ever did for DC, but um, it was close. Very cool. What would you say is maybe one of your favorite first things you worked on? Gargoyles was way up there. You know, it was first show I produced. It was kind of my baby from day one. Um, and uh, I sort of stuck with it, stuck by it for now going on 21 years. So uh, it's uh, still sort of, you know, even now, the, you know, my favorite thing. Think we can see a Gargoyles movie coming out soon? <laughs> well, there's no current plans for one, although I haven't given up on the idea, and so I hope so. It's gone full nostalgia, so I think the nostalgia wave is ready to wash into the 90s, and um, and I think Gargoyles is primed for that sort of thing. Yeah, because I, I post put out to our listeners, uh, you know, that would we'll be doing an interview with you, and we got a lot of feedback, mostly asking, you know, when is a movie coming out? <laughs> that was a, a big question. Or a reboot. Yeah, or a yeah. reboot. Yeah, that's, that's another one. Well, I'm not actually too excited about the notion of a reboot because um, I like what we did, and I'd rather they um, put that stuff out again. I don't think it's. Uh, I don't think it's particularly dated, um, and uh, I'd rather continue where we left off. Frankly, I'd be happy continuing uh, the comics that we did um, at SLG uh, about eight years ago, um, and you know, continue on those. Um, I do think, obviously, if we did a live-action movie, you'd in essence be rebooting. But I, the hope would be is that we'd be as true to the spirit of the original as we possibly could be. Um, you know, I'd love to be able to announce right now, right here, you know, yeah, there's a movie coming out. We've got comics and an animated series. None of those things are happening. But I do think that uh, conversations are ongoing. We're closer now than we've been in quite some time. Um, and I hope to someday be able to make those announcements. But there's nothing to announce now. There's nothing going on. You know, I, I'm kind of excited that one of the things whenever we they announced to me that we were going to do this interview with you is the Gargoyles thing, because I remember coming home from school when I was little and watching the show. And so I was like, whoa, we're actually like going to be talking to the guy right now. And I, I mean, you could call me younger, but for me, when I was little, I, I used to love the show. Good. i know right i do gotta ask this though because i was doing a little bit of research on you and stuff and on uh i think international movie database they have like some trivia on you and one of the things was is that you my guess is most of it's wrong (laughs) (laughs) that's where we're gonna confirm it trying to confirm it i was like what is this oh one of the ones that like stuck out to me and i was like it's kind of weird but um in the 96 series of Gargoyles, it said that you watched every episode one time, no more, no less. And I was like, no. Uh, you're talking about the Goliath Chronicles, not yeah. Gargoyles. Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I've seen the first episode, um, The Journey, which I wrote a number of times. Um, I don't like how they messed it up. Um, after I wrote it, I did not produce that episode, and... I wasn't too fond of uh, how it turned out, um, but you know, I, so I've seen that one a few times. The other twelve episodes—that is true. I've seen. I watched each of them once when they first came out, and I've not watched them since. 
No, oh, wow. From the standpoint of the fandom and canon, we just don't consider season that season, the Goliath Chronicles, to be canon. And we think of the comic books that we put out with uh, SLG to be uh, the official third season. So I wanted to ask you, what was it that was your breakthrough to get you into with uh, the comics? I know it was with uh, DC, if I understood correctly. What was it that actually got your foot through the door in, early in your career? It was kind of a weird story. Um, I, uh, like I said, I was a sophomore in college. And now, was that with Stanford or with USC? Stanford was undergraduate, yeah. Undergrad, okay. Um, I went to USC years later for graduate school. Um, but, uh, yeah, I was an undergraduate at Stanford. And um, I, you know, was one of those guys who went to the comic store in Palo Alto every week and picked up my comics. And then, you know, one week in every issue of Marvel's comics with full-page ads saying that Marvel was looking for new talent, writers, artists, works. And um, two thoughts went through my head. One was that I was desperate to write comic books, but the other was that Marvel would just be swamped um, with submissions instantaneously. I knew there were hundreds of guys like me mm-hmm. out there. Um, and uh, I also thought, well, if Marvel's doing this, and the odds are DC's going to do it too. So uh, the one sort of smart thing I did in this story um, is instead of prepping submissions for Marvel, I followed Marvel's guidelines in their ad, but I prepped submissions for DC instead. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, about a month or so later, um, DC announced its own new talent search. And so I was able to literally send my materials in, you know, almost instantaneously. And later, when I was on staff at DC, I found the log book where they logged in submissions from that new talent search. And my name was literally the second one hmm. on the list. So you think the story is, is I got in early and that's how they brought me in and all that stuff. But that's not what happened because they logged my materials in and then immediately lost them. Oh. Um, put them in a file cabinet. I actually, again, when I, years later, when I was on staff there, found them at the bottom of a file cabinet um, where they had flipped down between file folders. And I found them there. Uh, But what happened is, is they lost the materials, but they had my name and address logged in. So instead of writing me and saying, look, we're really sorry. uh, We can't find the materials you sent. Could you resend them? What they did instead, uh, was send me a standard packet, um, and they figured they had two packets, one for writers and one for artists, mm-hmm. and about 70% of their submissions had come from artists and about 30% from writers. Um, and uh, later in the log, they would mark down whether the person was a writer or an artist, but in the first you know 20 or so entries, they hadn't bothered to do that. So they didn't have that indication by my name, which one I was, but they decided to play the percentages. So they sent me an art packet instead of a writing packet. Hmm. And so I uh, quickly figured out what had happened um, and was outraged in the way that only a 19-year-old can be outraged. Um, And so I crafted what my mom calls a major letter 
um, I sent an irate, outraged letter to Dick Giordano, who at the time was uh, uh, vice president and executive editor at DC Comics, and I complained about the lack of professionalism and said that I was a professional. This was, of course, a lie. I'd never done anything professional in my life. Um, but I was a professional, so of course I kept copies of my work if they just told me that the uh, materials were lost. I would have sent them more materials. Um, and so I sent out this letter. You know, this was before email. Um, I sent it off, stuck it in the mailbox, and almost instantly after closing the mailbox, I thought, wow, that was a supremely bad idea. Um, and I thought, well, that's that. You know. uh, and I sort of forgot about it for a week or so. Uh, and then, you know, I was living in the, in a dorm and I had a roommate who was not a geek, um, and didn't know anything about comics. And we had landlines back then. So the phone rang and he answered it and he held out the phone to me and he said, some guy named Dick Giordano. And I thought that one of my friends was messing with me. Yeah, I, would have, I would think so I got same. on the line like, so this is Dick Giordano, you know, and it, it, it was, um, <laughs> After sending and a letter about, so, about being professional. <laughs> so, the, I mean, the, the thing was that um, the letter, I don't know how to say this, I think the letter amused him. Mm-hmm. I think he thought it was well written, I guess. Um, um, and maybe he thought there was a little bit of truth to it, but I think mostly it just amused him. And um, so he had called me and uh, and said, you know, are you going to be in New York anytime soon? And I'm like, well, in fact, I'll be in New York, uh, this April. Um, and so we made arrangement or March, I guess it was March of 1983, um, which was my spring break. And so we made arrangements for me to come in, uh, and meet with him in person. And then I hung up the phone and thought, crap, I got to figure out how to get to New York in March. Um, I said, again, why? But, no plans of going to New York, but now I suddenly needed to make plans to go to New York. But I got kind of lucky. Uh, I did have a cousin who lived in Manhattan who I could crash with. And my dad had some extra frequent flyer miles, and he let me have those. And so off I went to New York. And uh, I remember it was uh, St. Patrick's Day or something like that. Um, and it was pouring rain, I mean, torrential rain. And, you know, I lived my life wearing blue jeans and T-shirts and stuff. But, you know, here I was thought it was like a job interview. So I got dressed up in a suit and tie, not knowing that in comics, no one wears that pretty much ever. Um, although Dick did in those days. Um, and uh, my cousin that morning said, look, let me... Uh, she had a subway map. Let me show you what subway you're going to take to get there. And I said, no, no, no. Uh, I'm afraid I'll get lost, and I don't want to be late, so I'm just going to take a cab. And she sort of stared at me and said, you're going to take a cab in Manhattan in the rain. And I was like, yeah, I think that's best. And she's like, okay, good luck with that. And she left. Um, she left without informing me that I would never be able to get a cab in Manhattan in the rain. Um, and so I went out. I had an umbrella, which the wind immediately doubled over so that it was instantly useless. Um, the rain was really coming down hard. I, it, like out of Groundhog Day, I stepped into a 
a pothole that was full of water so that my leg was drenched up to my calf. Um, and I tried desperately to find a taxi. And I did ultimately, which is still sort of shocking to me. Um, it took me, though, like a half hour in the rain to hail a cab, at which point, you know, traffic's not moving. So I'm now on the verge of being late for this meeting, but I managed to get there in time. But by the time I walk in the door, I look something like a drowned rat. Um, and, uh, and yet somehow or other, Dick saw something in me, um, or again, maybe I just amused him, um, but he introduced me to people and I started work writing freelance and I would come to New York in the summers and, uh, try and get work. And, and then after I graduated, leaving out big chunks of the story, but basically after I graduated, I went to work there, like I said, as, as a editorial assistant. And I was there for two years, basically. And then I, um, moved back to California to go to graduate school. Wow. That's a pretty cool story. It was wow. meant to be. <laughs> yeah. Well, a lot of my life has been a series of happy accidents. So, um, <laughs> that's, that's the good news. <laughs> and sometimes so, that's all it is. It's just dumb luck, you know, to, and that's all it takes. Now, speaking of the stuff you've worked on, you've done, you know, from TV shows to comics to the two novels that you've written as well. What is your, what is your favorite thing to, to do, whether it's producing or, you know, writing an episode or writing a comic? Is there anything you prefer? Um, you know, I really do enjoy them all. I love, I've had the, again, the, the good fortune to have a great partners collaborate, Frank Parr on, on uh, Gargoyles, the cook on Spider-Man, Brandon Vietti, you know, Justice, among many, many other people. Um, and, you know, with comics, you're collaborating with an artist. With uh, cartoons, you're collaborating with a whole army of human beings. Um, and that's a lot of fun. It's, you know, I've worked with some great actors on my shows um, and great composers and musicians and all sorts of stuff helping to bring these things forward. And it's terrific to have that backbone of talented people to um, rely on and help you bring your vision to the screen. Um, but I've also, you know, become a novelist and it's also kind of amazing to not collaborate, to actually be the one person who's got to do, you know, do it all by oneself. I mean, literally in cartoons I have, artists who paint the, you know, the scenes that my characters play across. But in writing a novel, I've got to paint those pictures with words. I've got actors who make even my most mediocre dialogue sound brilliant. Um, in writing a novel, I've got to make sure that the dialogue is kind of brilliant on its own because there isn't going to be an actor to make it sound better. Um, I've got composers who score the television show and help guide the feeling of the audience. And in writing a novel, I've got to, in essence, find a way to use words to create a music to, um, to the, the writing so that, um, you know, similar feelings can be evoked in a less obvious way. And that's been really gratifying to write these two books and 
to be able to uh, do that on my own, but it's tough and it's very scary. And of course, it's a novel, so it's a much longer process than writing a single script or something like that. And yet, it doesn't pay as well as working in television. So it's a mixed bag. But uh, but I do really I enjoy both of them. But it was also nice when I was uh, doing the first season of Star Wars Rebels to have the second book, Spirits of Ash and Foam, that I could sort of jump back and forth between the two of them, um, so that you know. If I was frustrated on one or blocked or whatever, I could switch to the other one, work on that for a while. And then by the time I jumped back, usually whatever problem I had sort of magically worked itself out in my head and I was able to proceed. And it was actually nice to have both to jump back and forth between. Yeah, you're mentioning a lot of the talent that you've been working with. You know, you worked with a lot of great, you know, talent, amazing talent. I mean, Tim Curry to, you know, almost it seems like just about all the cast members from the different uh, Star Trek movies. You must have, you must have a love for the Star Trek because I see a lot of cast members doing your stuff. Well, I do love Star Trek, but that's not really why it happened so much. Um, you know, initially on Gargoyles, um, we held auditions and. Um, Maria Sirtis um, and Jonathan Frakes won the parts of uh, Demona and Xanatos based on their ability, not on our particular love of Star Trek. Um, but then, you know, we had them every week, you know, coming in and doing their parts. And, and uh, you know, they were recurring characters, regular characters. Um, uh, but we didn't have time to hold auditions for every guest star that was going to come in. Yeah. But, you know, if we'd be in the booth and our voice director, who was also our casting director, Jamie Thomason, would ask Frank Parr and I, my partner on the show, um, so what are we going to need next week? And, for example, I'd say, well, we need Goliath was our lead gargoyle. We'd say we need Goliath's brother, long-lost brother. So Keith David, who plays Goliath, has these really deep chops. So for for the brother, Coldstone, we need a character. You know, we need an actor who's got really deep chops like Keith. Who could we get? And, you know, I'm looking through the glass, and there's Jonathan and Marina. So I'm like, well, what about Michael Dorn? And so sure enough, we brought in Michael Dorn to play uh, Coldstone. And it was like that a lot. You had the two of them there all the time, and they were just a reminder of this great repertory company, in essence, of actors that was working on the Star Trek shows in those days. And, and, it, was just, and, and it was a good network right there for you. You know, you just say, hey, we need such and such to do this. And like, oh, yeah, let me pick up the phone. Hold on. <laughs> well, we didn't, we try not to, to do that too much, kind of, <laughs> um, putting them in an awkward position. But what I will say is that, you know, um, LeVar Burton goes up to Marina and Jonathan and says, hey, you know, this cartoon gargoyles that you guys are working on, they called my agent, they want me to come in and play a spider. Um, and should I do it? And, you know, then they would sort of go, yeah, it's great gig, no makeup, no visors, no weird contact lenses. Uh, you don't even have to memorize the lines. You can come in in your pajamas and read, you know, that kind of thing. So, you know, in a lot of ways, voice acting is a pretty sweet gig. Um, and, you know, and I, and John and Marie and Marina both truly, uh, I think loved the show um, and felt very protective of it. And so they were, they would talk it up. There was a point, you know, we had cast Michelle Nichols as Diane Maza, the mother of uh, one of our leads. Mm -hmm. 
And then there was a point where just sort of as a lark, we were sort of like, well, can we cast someone from every Star Trek show ever? <laughs> yeah. um, and I think you did. So we actually. did. Yeah. We got Kate Mulgrew and we got uh, from Voyager and we got Avery Brooks from uh, DS9 and um, Comini and a bunch of actors who were guest stars on uh, various Star Trek episodes. Um, but I want to be clear, you know, we never would have cast anyone who wasn't right for the role. Of, you course, know, it's, of course. It's fun to sort of have these Star Trek actors in, but... You know, we wouldn't have done it if they hadn't been, you know, terrific. Brent Spiner was amazing as Puck, you know. Yeah. Um, he's a, he's uh, just a good voice actor altogether. Yeah. So, you know, we had all these great people. Um, and, you know, I'm also not going to deny the publicity value of it. No. Um, but uh, that's a bonus, you know. Job one is making sure we've done a great show. Job two is whether or not we get a publicity so with all these talented voice actors you have, anybody that really was just like, you were just really excited to get on the show, anything that, any person that really just excited you to have on? Oh, uh, well, a lot of them. David Warner was terrific. Johnny mm-hmm. Davies was amazing. That's back on Gargoyles. Getting Tim Curry to do Young Justice yeah. was a pretty big, big coup. Getting Ed Asner to do um, Gargoyles uh, was fantastic. And I used Ed on literally every other show I've ever done. Um, it was a great treat on uh, Star Wars Rebels to be able to bring in uh, Paul Rubens mm-hmm. uh, to play Rex um, again. You know, he Rex was the little robot from the original version of Star Tours mm-hmm. at Disneyland, and um, so it was fun to sort of do Rex and Star Wars Rebels and be able to bring in Tim Curry. Peter McNichol has done great work for me on three successive shows. Um, Spider-Man, uh, you know, Justice and Rebels. Um, you know, I, I've just been, again, blessed with uh, having tremendous uh, actors. Guys, you know, and also those are the celebrities, I suppose, but, you know, had great voice actors, you know, people who for whom voice acting is their main profession, guys like Jim Cummings, Jeff Bennett, Tom Adcox, Steve, uh, Vanessa Marshall, Captain C., list is pretty endless, but I'm leaving out, you know, yeah, Griffin, um, yeah. you know, I'm leaving out a bunch of people. I'm sure John DiMaggio, I mean, I, I could go down forever, but you know, <laughs> just phenomenal performers. And, uh, and again, many of them helped me out when I did the reign of the ghost audio book, which we recorded last fall. Um, I've got 20 actors playing 30 roles Oh, wow. And with a couple of exceptions, you know, 18 of the 20 are uh, all people I've used before and all um, came in and did amazing work on Rain for me. So, you know, you build relationships and these people who are friends of mine and I just love working with all of them. Very cool. Very cool. Well, I mean, we've talked a little bit about your past now, and you kind of brought up Kanan a little bit, and I was just wondering, uh, what was it like uh, finishing off uh, issue five of Kanan? Uh, you know, it was cool, and I really, I mean, the thing is, is that um, the artist on Kanan is Pepe Lara's, and Pepe's mm-hmm. artwork is so gorgeous that I could write a shopping list in the book. Oh, book it is. It. His um, artwork is phenomenal. In fact, we've, we've had, we've, we uh, got him to um, do some Q&A on our podcast uh, already. He, uh, he is a phenomenal artist. Amazing guy. 
Oh, yes. Yeah, I mean, stuff is truly gorgeous. Um, so, you know, me finishing the script is one thing, but what's really cool is seeing what he does with it. Um, and, you know, we're, he and I are still going. Um, I, he's working on issue eight, the art for issue eight while I'm writing the script for 10. Um, and, uh, we're both on the book at least through 11. He took a break for issue six to catch up. But, okay. Um, well, that answers that because we were really concerned about that. Yeah. We saw that he wasn't on the list for six. We're like, Oh no, is he continuing or not? <laughs> <laughs> Oh no, we're, he, yeah, he's still on. We're, okay. we're both on at least through eleven, um, which is the second arc. Six is a trend, is a sort of transition issue between sort of the epilogue to the first arc, Last Padawan, mm-hmm. and the prologue to the second arc, First Blood. And uh, Pepe drew the cover for it, but um, we have a, a, a fill-in artist just for that one issue who's done a terrific job. Think about like it, but then Pepe's back for seven through eleven, and then usually our cover artist is Mark Brooks, who's also done some truly gorgeous covers for the book. No, yeah, no, Mark has really done some cool stuff. Kanan's just been a blast, and it's also been fun because you know when I came aboard Rebels, we all had to sit down and come up with backstories for all these great characters, and um, and it was great coming up with these backstories, but there was also an element of sort of wistfulness to it because this was stuff that we were coming up with to inform the actors and inform the writers, but it was stuff that we knew that we weren't really going to have the room to use in the show very much. Um, so being able to actually then get the Canaan comic, which Lucasfilm and Marvel offered to me, it's like, oh, cool, I can use this backstory. Now. I can <laughs> yeah. tell this story. It's a great yeah. story we came up with, so you know, it's great that it's getting to see the light of day. I'd love to do something similar with uh, Hera and Sabine and Zeb as well because they've also got really great backstories that we came up with that we just did not, you know, the, the show um, isn't going to have a hell of a lot of opportunity there. Well, maybe to, we can uh, see them in their own comic. Show. <laughs> That'd be great. I'd it would. Because I'll tell you, you know, canon is just one of those issues where you read it and when you're done with it, you either want to read it again or you want to just like, you just can't wait for the next issue to come out. It's just really well written and drawn. Put together beautifully, you know. And I will say, from you know, today's digital age, I read most of my comics on the app. But I can say, tell you that you know, Canon Last Padawan is one of the five issues that I have in a pull box. I just really enjoy it that much. You know, I just got to say, you're really doing a phenomenal job with it. It's been a lot of fun to do. And again, you know, I can't offer up enough praise for Pepe and and David Curiel's work on the book visually because I really think they're the ones making it. Even though I guess it's going to go on through, for, through a second arc, is there any word of possibly maybe a third arc for it? Uh, I haven't heard yet, um, but uh, I thought I'd you know, finish issue 10, and as I was heading into, which I should finish within a week or so, and as I was heading into 11, I'd raised the question with Jordan White, the editor, and sort of say, so uh, should we start thinking about arc three or... Well, I know they're uh, still going to go, but they may uh, they may choose to go with a, a, another writer. I don't know. That's not really my call. Um, I sort of was brought in initially just to do five issues, so it's been wonderful that that was extended to eleven. Uh, but I don't want to take anything for granted. I just don't know if it's on keeping me around beyond that or not. 
I mean, they're going to hack. I mean, it's just unbelievable. That's very good. <laughs> now, I was going to ask you with with this. Do you think there'll be any crossover between Marvel's other Star Wars stuff? You know, they got the Star Wars, Darth Vader, Leia, Lando. Um, I think there's some, Chewbacca's coming well, it's out. It's really a different. All that other stuff is set in a different era. Mm-hmm. So you've got um, most of the books are all set. You know, in this uh, post episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, four era and then you've got um, Shattered Empire which is set post episode six whereas um, you know the Canaan stuff time being is set you know somewhere in and around episode three because it's all flashbacks yeah. and even if you did Canaan in the quote in, in Rebels quote unquote present then that's before three and four uh, but I'm sorry it's between three and four but yeah, speaking of your upcoming stuff, uh, what can you tell us about Starbrand and Nightmask? Uh, well, it's very exciting. Uh, Starbrand and Nightmask were originally back in the 80s uh, new Marvel New Universe characters. But um, more recently, uh, Jonathan Hickman in his um, Avengers run, which led right into Secret Wars, um, he introduced the you know the 616 versions the marvel universe versions of both those characters uh into uh well into the marvel universe and um so i'm sort of picking up where hickman left off um with uh you know there were a number of interesting threads that in reading uh jonathan's material i found and i thought this is stuff we could really make a great fodder for a ongoing series. And, uh, I really enjoy both these characters. I've like, I, I think I said earlier, I've written the first issue. I'm about to start work on the second and I just really like their voices. They're a lot of fun to me. I like how they play off each other. They're best friends, uh, they're dorm mates and, uh, you know, and they're cosmic heroes. So it was, it's, what's really great is being able to juxtapose these big cosmic, threats and adventures with really mundane, you know, stuff about them being freshmen in college. You, uh, you mentioned how they're, uh, cosmic beings. I mean, are you happy to, uh, venture into the Marvel cosmic universe? I mean, since you've been writing about the star Wars universe, are you happy to venture into, I guess, another side of it. I mean, this, the cosmic universe in Marvel is ginormous. So you have a lot of things to play with. Uh, you know, it's, it's great fun to, to play in the sandbox. I mean, just, you know, I've, I've been reading Marvel comics since, you know, at this point for over 40 years. Um, and, uh, um, it's just, you know, a thrill to actually get to, be part of, you know, the building and ongoing continuation of the Marvel universe. And, um, these cosmic plots are, are really interesting. And I think we've got a bunch of great stuff planned. We've got a really, I think, exciting first arc. Um, and, uh, but I also think we've got a really, really exciting second arc. Um, and I've even planned out the basics for, uh, arcs three and four and five. So, um, cause my mind just works that way. I just keep sort of racing ahead of where I am, but, uh, I'm really, uh, looking forward to getting the fan response to the book. Cause I think it's going to be really cool. 
So you seem to be one of those writers that when you sit down, you get the momentum rolling and you just want to keep going and going and going. There's not very many breaks between your writing. Uh, you know, I'm constantly sort of juggling projects, I guess. Um, as I talked about earlier, it's nice to be able, uh, you know, I do get stuck at times, but usually, uh, if I'm, jump over to a different project um, for a period of time. By the time I come back to the first one, I, uh, you know, the problem sort of worked itself out in, in the background of my head before I actually have to sit down and stress about it. So, um, but yeah, you know, I, I love world building. I love, you know, the whole notion of telling an ongoing story and on Gargoyles we talk about the tapestry of that series and all the threads that weave through it. And, um, to me, that's where the fun is. I really like the idea of them being, you know, they can take on huge cosmic threats and then they got to go and do homework afterwards. I always like the putting struggles in perspective. Yeah. And to me, you know, high fantasy science fiction, all that stuff is grounded, um, is is made more fun when you ground it in as much reality as you possibly can. So, you know, they've got to deal with the fact that these vast cosmic beings um, who take on these huge cosmic adventures um, have to fit into a dorm room where they can barely both stand up at the same time um, and, uh, you know, figure out what meal plan to get and that kind of thing. It's, it's, uh, to me, dealing with having them deal with very real problems juxtaposed with their big science fiction concerns. Um, that's where a lot of fun comes. And uh, I think it's safe to assume that this is sort of, it's going to be a, a lighter tone because I mean, they both have dark and slightly disturbing origins. Um, is it going to be a fun title? I or? think it's going to be fun, but there are definitely dark moments in it. Um, you know, we're going to be sort of Whedon-esque, I'm going to say. Um, you know, I'm, I don't shy away from what's funny and fun about and goofy and even silly about their lives um, and certainly the juxtaposition of these two aspects of their lives. But I also, you know, the serious stuff is serious and some of it's even a little horrific and, um, and we're going to be doing all of the above. And I think it'll be a stronger title for having both the humor and the drama. There's going to be a lot of romance and stuff. You know, it's college, so yeah. stuff happens. <laughs> well, great. Well, we're still on the topic of comics. Um, some of our podcast listeners had wrote into us with a couple questions that they would uh, like us to ask, if you don't mind. So TJ uh, wanted to ask, basically, um, how will uh, Starbrand and Nightmask be changing in the all-new Marvel Universe with the reboot? Uh, well, again, you know, uh, if you're talking about the new universe version of those characters, um, that was really Hickman who, um, who changed them. Um, so, you know, if you want to get a sense of, um, what those changes are, you can already go pick up those books. They're out now. Um, you know, you can get them on, uh, at, you can get them as eBooks. You can go to a comic book store or whatever and, and get those Avengers titles um, Avengers and New Avengers, uh, that, and Avengers World, and see how he uh, developed the characters for 
and rebooted them for the Marvel Universe, picking up right where he left off. I'm not the guy who's making those <laughs> changes. I'm yeah. just trying to carry him forward. Yeah, because we're going to have that big reboot in October with the whole Marvel Universe. So I guess there's just some concerns on how are, are all of our favorite Marvel characters going to be changing with this new reboot. They're not changing significantly other okay. than the fact that they're alive. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah. Because Fair enough. Not to spoil too much, but we last time we saw them, they were dead. So um, this in this reboot, they're brought back to life, but their history is the same. And other than dying, which is still part of their history, they remember it. Um, they're not uh, vastly different, or even a little different. Frankly, they're. <laughs> I'm trying very hard to you know follow that characterization and, and just bring it forward. And now that they'll be the focus of this title, as opposed to, you know, the number eight or nine, you know, character number eight or nine among a huge cast of Avengers, I think you'll see more of them. And, but I'm again, just trying to pick up right where they left off other than the fact that they're alive. Now we have, it uh, just seemed if they were dead, it would it might be a kind of quiet title. Yeah, <laughs> because it would be. <laughs> Now, we have four guys, um, podcast follower Wasno, asking you um, the character's canon and your um, creation of them. Did you have to get uh, approval for these characters and their appearances um, cross between with Marvel and uh, Lucas? Um, yeah, I mean, Marvel is working. Uh, my editor, Jordan White, uh, is working very closely with uh, Marvel and the Lucasfilm Story Group, Um they approve everything. Uh, Marvel's not running off on its own, just making stuff up for lack of a better term. That's you know, uh, it's, it's a very collaborative process. Everything that I've submitted is approved both by Marvel and by Lucasfilm and, and, uh, it's canon, you know? Yes. So it's all, uh, all approved and, you know, official stamp, et cetera on it. And, now, um, well, he also wanted me to ask you um, how much, how involved um, are the people with Lucas and yourself in regards to the story development between um, specifically Leland and uh, Pablo? Uh, how does that work um, as far as the, story, the character development? Is that like all within your hands or not? Uh, Leland and Pablo are both phenomenal resources. I am endlessly grateful to them. Um, you know, sometimes I shoot them a quick question and say, hey, I need a ship that's from this era that can do this. And within 24 hours, they've, they've sent me, you know, here's what you want. You know, <laughs> here's the ship, you know, kind of thing. Um, they get referenced, but they're also all, likewise giving notes on every script I turn in on Kanan and, and, uh, um, and always with really helpful information. And, you know, couldn't do it without those guys. Um, I, I uh, worked with Pablo more closely on Rebels, so I know him personally a little better, but I love both of them. Wonderful. Another question we have from uh, listener The Tick, it's kind of switching back into Nightmask and Starbrand. I know kind of jumping back and forth, but he wanted to know um, with the buildup of Hickman's uh, Avengers version of Nightmask and Starbrand, what, what is your vision of the characters? How much of a, of a change could we be seeing in the future? Will it be a big drastic change or going to keep more along the story of how, um, how they are currently? Um, well, like I said, I'm, I'm really trying to make this an organic flow from what Hickman wrote, mm-hmm. uh, with the obvious exception that they're alive. Um, but uh, so I, 
I think they will change gradually over time. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to give a spoiler about a gradual change that's going <laughs> to take place over months and months and months. But the, but the fact is, is if you pick up issue one, fundamentally what you're seeing are the two guys that you saw in Hickman's run. Um, I'm trying to pick up on character traits, sometimes a little subtle character traits that he only had time or room or space to hint at. I'm going to try and expand upon, but it should all be very organic. And, um, you know, Kevin is a kid, Kevin that is star brand is a kid who was kind of a, a nebbish kind of a, a, an unknown, um, person that, that people tended to ignore until he became, uh, by accident, um, and frankly, by mistake, the star brand for Earth. Um, and so this is a kid who, you know, understands humanity in a theoretical sense, but was never part of the action. And, and being star brand gives him more confidence. Um, it's going to change him, uh, but it's not going to change him overnight. You know, it, it's going to be uh, a gradual progression. Um, Adam whose night mask was uh, kind of born yesterday, almost literally. Um, and so he is incredibly well-informed. He's sort of a master of the internet and, and has made a point of educating himself uh, tremendously um, and yet has almost no experience with human interaction. Mm -hmm. um, now, Adam is sort of Kevin's Jiminy Cricket. In fact, um, Kevin jokes about that. Um, you know, Adam, you know, the role of the night mask is to be herald in conscience to the star brand. And so you'll see some of that, but basically what you're going to see are two best friends, neither of whom are entirely well equipped to deal with college. Neither of them are nearly as well equipped as they thought they were to deal with these cosmic threats. They share a dorm room, you know, they're buddies and they're, trying to figure out life and in particular figure out the human race, which neither of them are too good at. So night mask is going to be star brands wingman. They might take turns at the wingman role. So. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Oh, cool. Uh, final, final question that was um, um, brought to our listeners to ask you was basically more of a request than a question for you to consider a Gargoyles and Moon Knight crossover, and that was brought to us by Slayer the Player and Jabbo. Something for you to think about, Greg. <laughs> yeah, that's never going to happen. <laughs> I mean, because, uh, you know, in essence, uh, Gargoyles is not part of the Marvel Universe. Um, it's its own universe. Um, there are too many things that those universes do differently. They, they're not a good match. Uh, I have done... Uh, a Gargoyle Spectacular Spider-Man crossover as a radio play just for fun at a convention. And I did a Gargoyles uh, Spectacular Spider-Man Young Justice crossover at another convention just last year. Um, just for fun, we had Marina Sirtis there, so she played both Demona and Queen Bee. Um, and the rest of the cast was all fans who auditioned for it at the con. And, you know, I might continue that tradition at conventions, doing these radio plays. It's a, it's a lot of fun, and it's a little goofy, and um, and we all have a good time doing it. Um, but uh, if, if, you know, if it's a serious request to 
have Moon Knight uh, overlap with Gargoyles, well, that's just not going to happen because they're two different universes, and I don't think either would benefit from merging with the other. All right. Um, so I know we've discussed the comics for a little bit. Um, I thought maybe we could talk a little about your uh, audio play. Sure. Uh, it's uh, Obviously, it's based on my novel, Reign of the Ghosts. It's uh, unabridged, so we're talking about a four-hour radio play. It's got a cast of 20 actors uh, playing 30 roles. It's a pretty phenomenal cast. It includes um, Ed Asner, uh, Brent Spiner, Marina Sirtis, Jacqueline Oberdors, um, some great uh, voice actors like Steve Bloom, Jim Cummings, Vanessa Marshall. Um, the lead is played by Brittany Wamaleale. She's playing Rain Kasik, who's the lead. Um, and she's a phenomenal young, talented actor. Um, who I had not worked with before this, but who I am uh, immensely impressed with. Uh, actors who played uh, in Young Justice include uh, Brighton James, who played Static, and Eric Lopez, who played Blue Beetle. Um, Josh Keaton, the spectacular Spider-Man himself, is in this. Um, Tom Adcox and Jeff Bennett, who were the Gargoyles, Lexington and Brooklyn, are in this. They're just phenomenal. Plus, we've got music, uh, a full, nearly four hours of musical scoring by dynamic music partners. That's Lola the Ritmanis, uh, Chris Carter, and Michael McQuistian. Um, they're the partners who did the music for Young Justice, for Batman Brave and the Bold, for Justice League Unlimited, for um, Avengers Earth's Mightiest Heroes. They're incredibly talented composers, and they did all the music. We've got sound effects. And what this means is that when this is done, and it'll be done literally in, in, within the next two weeks, um, this will be like a four-hour movie with everything but the picture. And it'll be available on Audible. And I could not be more proud of it. Um, it's been the most fun thing I've done professionally in a very long time. I've just had a blast doing it. Um, it's really been a, on one level, a sort of down and dirty production, but very professional. Um, and just really me going to my friends and saying, Hey, help us out with this. And they have, um, we also did a Kickstarter fundraiser, uh, this past March, which funded or April, I can't remember, I guess it was April. Um, and it funded, so that'll, you know, allowed us to finish it. And we are on the verge of finishing it, literally. Um, tomorrow, I've got a sound effects spotting session, uh, not spotting, preview session. And then uh, next week, we are uh, mixing it. And uh, within a week after that, we'll be done. And uh, it's very exciting. And it, we did a temp mix of the first chapter just to make sure that we were on the right track. And it turned out really amazing. And I felt that way and everyone in the room felt that way, but they all worked on it. So they're all biased. And so I actually played it for a few people who uh, had no interest in the project per se. Um, and uh, they really were impressed by it. So I feel really good. I think this is really going to be amazing. And I'm proud of the story and I'm proud of the diversity of the cast. And I'm both the cast of characters and the cast of actors. And, uh, and I just think we've gotten some stellar uh, stuff from everybody, actors, composers, musicians, uh, post-production people. It's going to really be great. 
And if you want to follow along, see how it's going, you can check out our website, which is reignoftheghosts.com, R-A-I-N, of the ghosts, plural, dot com. This is originally the Kickstarter site. Obviously, we already funded, so people can feel free to go there and not be afraid. We'll be asking them for money. We won't be. Um, and they can just, there are videos there where they can see about the, how the production was done and, you know, see Brent Spiner talk about it or Marina Sirtis or Ed Asner or Brittany Womoleale or Vanessa Marshall, Steve Bloom, all these people talk about their work on the project. And um, it's, it's pretty cool. So I have to ask, because we've already gone through all this, um, are there any new books you're looking to write or any ideas that you have that you may want to turn into books for the uh, future? Uh, I got a ton of stuff. I mean, A, I've got a ton of projects going. I'm currently a staff writer at Nickelodeon on a preschool show called Shimmer and Shine. I'm on the, uh, I'm working. The first season just premiered uh, last month. Uh, I didn't work on the first season, but I'm working on season two. Um, and, uh, I've also got another couple projects that are in the works that it's too soon to talk about. Um, but they're both very exciting. And, uh, in terms of, you know, ideas for more stuff that I've got endlessly, I've got piles and piles of ideas. Uh, even if, even if I, uh, could decide what went and what didn't go, you know, if I had, if I ruled the world kind of thing, there's no way I could get all of this stuff done in the years I have left. So, uh, I'm just trying to get as much done as I can. So there's no plan to an end of writing for Greg Wiseman right now. You're planning on going till the grave. It sounds like, right? Uh, pretty much. Yeah. I, I, uh, I think hopefully, <laughs> At some point, I'll retire from the need financially mm-hmm. to uh, do it, but I don't think I'd ever stop doing it. Um, you know, uh, and frankly, to be honest, right now I can't see how I could retire from the need to do it either, because there's a lot of bills to pay. But uh, but still, I I'm I yeah, I'm never going to stop. You know, until I get stopped, so to speak. <laughs> Well, I just wanted to say from what we've heard and what we've seen read, uh, we hope you do continue. I mean, I don't think anyone will ever make you stop. And uh, just want to say again how fantastic Kanan has been so far. And I can't wait for uh, Starbrand and Nightmask. Well, thanks. I appreciate that. Definitely. I was just reading, uh, what was it, 34.2 today. And so it kind of got me a hype to see them continue on. I, if you, most people on here already know, but I love the cosmic universe. So any kind of cosmic story, I'm all for it. <laughs> all right, Greg, I think that pretty much wraps up our call with you. Um, just to, before we uh, uh, conclude everything, did you have anything else that you'd like to bring up, promote, or discuss with our listeners? No, I think we've covered it all. I appreciate the time. Thank you very much. All right. Take it easy, guys. You too, Greg. Thanks again. Thank you. Bye. All right. This is going to wrap up our interview with Greg Wiseman today. Go ahead and check us out on our Facebook to see some reviews and go ahead to our Twitter to see some Marvel, DC, and indie comic facts with Cadis. Be sure also to go to our website at fourguysinacomic.com and find out more about what's going on with us. Tune in again next time. This is Rusty Surfer. I'll see you later. Excelsior.